Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Basement Binge, and welcome to the re-attempted start. It's, it's like the reopening, the restart to Animation Hall of Fave 3. Animation Hall of Fave, if you are new to The Basement Binge, is something that I do at the beginning of every year, where it's a chance to just focus on great animated features, be that that are currently coming out or relatively new or are, you know, longtime classics, and just have a chance to talk about animation because animation is so much more than a genre, and it's not just for kids. So Animation Hall of Fave is a chance for me to talk about those movies that I love or that I think that I might, or just review those that are kind of nostalgic. But in this case, it's a newer one. You saw the title. And firstly, congratulations to the entire team who worked on this for winning the Oscar just a few days ago for Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. This is a great animated film. They won the Oscar for animated feature. And I do think that a different film should have won. I'll, I'll get into that here. but. That aside, congratulations for the work they did on the film and the Oscar. I'm excited to, to review this. Now, here's the thing. I watched it before the Oscars happened, but the review obviously is happening after. So let's just get into my review here. This is all going to be spoiler-free for a little bit. In two cents, this is my kind of knee-jerk reaction, immediate thought about the film. And it's, it's hard because I don't even know where to begin with this because of the, the, the conflict that I have about it. L let me say that when it comes to the Oscars, Marcel the Shell with shoes on, and maybe even Puss in Boots are the ones who should have won, in my opinion. It's not that I, I dislike Pinocchio, but that I didn't love it. I love the way that it looked. I love the passion from everyone who was involved in the making of it. The voice cast is exceptional. The production design is top-notch. Even the adaptation of the story in its writing is unique and compelling, but those things individually don't make the film. And I can respect this as a project and the work needed to complete it as a project, but I don't like the movie, if that makes any sense. I, I appreciate the messages that are being told with this story and how the, it was adapted to tell those messages and how they really work for the story, but I don't like how they were told to me. It's really hard to put a finger on as to why it would be, but I just feel disconnected from what they are trying to do and what is done. There are big holes in these messages, not in like the value of the message, but in the way that they're telling the message. And we're going to get into that and fall in, but it, it, I don't connect with it in strong. And, and I do appreciate the message. I find them good, but I didn't feel them throughout the story. If it wasn't for the behind the scenes documentary on, on Netflix that I watched with Guillermo del Toro spelling it out for me, I kind of would have doubted if that was the intent of the movie. I, I got it before without him, but I felt like it was me kind of forcing it. It didn't really reveal itself, and I didn't really trust that that's what it was until he spelled it out. Those complaints aside, I was immediately in love with this film from an animation and production design standpoint. Animation Hall of Fave is a chance to acknowledge the power and creativity of animation, stop motion being my personal favorite form of animation. So I was won over immediately with how this film was animated, especially with the dynamic camera movement. I had to keep reminding myself that this was actually stop motion, not just animated to look like stop motion, that these were actually crafted and manipulated by people taking one picture at a time. It's really remarkable to watch. And as I said earlier, I appreciate Guillermo's willingness to adapt the story and not just retell it. Naturally, with Guillermo, it goes darker and it has some horror aspects to it, and it's a bit of a shock at first. But I, I did come around to it, but I didn't love it. It is different, and I think all film fanatics should watch this movie at least once. You probably already have. For the production design, the voice cast, the animation quality, and storytelling adaptation alone, 
and the other reasons, just because it's a good analysis of a film. It, it may not be my personal favorite. I may not personally resonate, but I can understand the legacy that this movie already contains and how other people might. So it's there. It's just not for me, if that makes sense. And now to get back to how I started Two Cents here and saying Marcel the Shell or Puss in Boots should have won, it's because I think that they contain all these things that I really did enjoy about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, but I also enjoyed the movie, and they were more touching to me. So I'm kind of disappointed in the Academy, but I know that everyone has different opinions about that, so this might not be the right answer for everybody, but it is, it is deserving. It's just not what I would have picked, if that makes sense. That's all I can really say in two cents. It's hard to say more than that. It's hard to put into words how I feel about this, but we'll just move on to the other segments. Some brief announcements here. If you're enjoying this episode and you want to help out The Basin Binge, leave a review on podchaser.com slash The Basin Binge. You can review this specific episode, not just the show as a whole. It's very helpful when you leave reviews. So linked below or podchaser.com slash The Basin Binge. Because here's a brief announcement with Animation Hall of Fave. I am adding Marcel the Shell with shoes on to Animation Hall of Fave this year. I, I was going to save it to do it, but I want to revisit it already. I've been wanting to, and I just decided to include. I almost feel like I need to launch a separate Animation Hall of Fave podcast that is just devoted to that all the time uh, because there's so many great anime movies to talk about that a few months at the beginning of the year isn't enough. I don't know. Send me an email or an interview on Podchaser. Let me know if that's something that you would want. Uh, you know, The Basement Binge would continue, but then there's also an- the, basement binge, the Basement Binge's Animation Hall of Fave. I don't know. Let me know if that's something you'd... But let's just move on to the next segment here. Pick Your Poison, which is the rating scale here at the Basin Binge. All about the bingeability of the film. How would I choose to interact with it? This film, to rate it, is similar to Whiplash to me. That I may rate it, rate it high on the five-star scale and letterboxed rating for its legacy and filmic qualities and acknowledging the work that is put in and kind of the quality that it holds as a movie and as a project, and as a creation, but I will never watch this movie again. Not once. I, I don't regret, regret watching it. I, I'm glad I watched it this initial time. I don't regret that it's a part of Animation Hall of Fave by any means. I'm glad that I watched it. I'm glad I'm including it in this. I'm glad I'm reviewing it, but I'm not going to watch it again. I had my initial experience, and I don't need it again. But I would recommend this to people because it's worth seeing once. But I don't need to personally see it anymore because I already have all this film could have given me most of that being Ewan McGregor's performance as cricket. But I got what I needed out of it. I experienced it. So kind of just with that idea in mind, moving on to the next segment here, Live Up. This is a shorter episode here, but Live Up is about my expectations for the film and if it was able to live up to them. That's the name. And this is this is hard for me to mention because of all the films up for animated picture at the Oscars, this was the one that had the most buzz, and that could just be because it's the newest and it has Guillermo del Toro connected to it, and it's so different and really incredibly unique as a, as a Pinocchio story, but also as a film and as an animated film, and it's kind of adult and mature and, and really kind of tackles some heavy themes and messages, even if I don't feel like they're told with, with enough concreteness and, and fluidity, but they're there, and so it, it, I can imagine why they would go for it. But whatever the reason is, I was expecting great things. My expectations were really high. I was expecting this to be my favorite movie of animation, Hall of Fame 3. You can probably guess that it didn't live up. It, it did exceed my expectations with an exceptional voice cast. I had no idea the stacked cast that this movie has and the 
wonderful performances each one of them put in. And I'm also impressed with its strong ability to truly adapt a story, not just retell it. I keep saying that, but but it continually surprised me in that I didn't know what was happening while also knowing what was happening. It, it was really well done. The animation is super impressive and the production design and everything else was just a disappointment to me. But I don't want to be too negative, so we'll move on to the segment specifically for Animation Hall fave, lame, fave, or fame. Hello, everybody. You're all right. Simmer down. Simmer down. Thank you. Okay. This is a segment just for Animation Hall fave, like I mentioned, and this movie is a perfect example as to why I like this segment and needed it in Animation Hall of fave. Because in all honesty, this movie deserves fame, but I don't think that that's the top of the scale personally. It deserves to be in the Hall of Fame for its legacy, most of that coming from Guillermo. It deserves fame because of how unique it is in animation. If, like, it's physical, it's, it's, it's looks. I was going to say physicality. It's looks. Uh, you know, the production, the stop motion, the voice cast, and the writing, that does deserve to be remembered. And I also appreciate that, the, that what they are doing with animation deserves to be remembered. And in all the animated films... We need more animated films like this that aren't just a kid's movie. Now, Puss in Boots, The Last Witch is not just a kid's movie. That is great, and I can't wait to rewatch it. But this deserves to be remembered. So it deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but not the Hall of Fave. And so I wonder if I should switch the order that should be lame fame than fave. But if I could separate those two and say that it's not sequential, it's in the fame because of its legacy and what it, it does for the the format of animation and, and filmmaking and creation, but I don't enjoy it, but I can acknowledge that it deserves to be here. I hope this is, I'm not alone in this. Please let me know in your review on Podchase, or you can send me an email or message me on social media on Instagram. I would love to know your thoughts about this. Am I alone in this? Now, I haven't really said a lot of substantial things about the film because it's hard to without spoilers. So I have a lot more to say when we get into spoilers in the next few segments. And it's going to be a little bit more positive with my favorite scene, talking about that and eventually getting to fall in so we can talk in depth about the messages of this film. But before we get to that, here's a brief interruption. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right. Thank you for supporting The Basement Binge. By listening to that, we will get right back to the regular scheduled program with the next segment, Binge Points. These are the Easter eggs, details, behind the scenes, trivia, or other insights about the creation or in things in the film that I, I want to mention. And first, I just want to mention some details about the stop motion creation. If you're familiar with stop motion, you know this. Some of you may not. But stop motion, there's no computer animation to it. Not none, but, but all the sets are built. The, 
the puppets are real and they're there in the set in the frame on a camera and there's still photos that are taken. Then an animator goes in and moves the puppet and then takes another picture. And then those pictures are put in succession at 24 frames a second. So 24 pictures a second to create the movie. So here's some things that are astonishing in this. Um, not from like an actual capturing standpoint, but from a creation standpoint, there are a lot of matte paintings in this. And I, it is so exciting to see just in movies in general, but especially in stop motion. Pinocchio in the animation, he is all replacement animation, meaning if they wanted a different expression uh, on his face, they had to put a different face on him because he's wood, obviously. And they wanted the wood grain to not, you know, mold, uh, morph like a face. So he was 3D printed and was replacement animation. But all the other puppets were mechanical, so silicone over like a strong mechanism that would allow them to bend and move. Like, like imagine the most adjustable action figure ever to the extreme, and that's kind of what you get with these puppets here. When it comes to animation, some remarkable things happen. There is a rack focus in animation. Rack focus is like, imagine that you have one arm with your hand extended all the way out and then one at like your elbow and the camera is, is focused on the one hand that's all the way out and the, the focus goes from that to the one at your elbow and the focus changes and what's in, what's in, what's in focus and blurry changes. The, you know, you can do that in film or on your phone just by tapping on the screen and we'll focus on something new. In, in stop motion animation, that means however many frames that is that got them from one part of focusing to another, they had to adjust the focus slowly at a consistent rate with each photo that was going to be an individual frame without it moving too quickly or too slowly that would make it jerky. So they had to take one picture, slightly adjust the focus away from what it's initially on and towards what they're racking to, take the picture and the next one, however many frames it is, 24 frames a second. So however many seconds that rack focus was, uh, that is just, I can't believe that they did that. On top of that, they they had to animate so many things. This is uh, the longest stop motion animated film ever, and there are so many dynamic camera movements. Now, normally stop motion is animated on twos, which means every two frames there's movement. So in, instead of having to take and create twenty four movements per second to create twenty four frames, they animate twelve. So you get a picture that holds for. So you have, have the movement, and then it holds for a second frame, and the new movement. So it's still 12 pictures per second, but it's, it's, you know, 12 is a lot less than 24. But when you do that with a moving camera, when the camera is moving in stop motion, if you animate the camera moving at 12 frames a second, it is choppy, and it will jerk, and you'll notice it. So they have to animate the camera by moving it, and the, and the puppets that they're animating on ones, meaning... 24 frames for every second. If there's a moving camera like that, one scene that follows the monkey's name, um, Spazzatura, through the circus as he goes down the little rope and makes his way towards Count Volp. That is a long scene with lots of things happening and the camera is moving the whole time. So that means that every single second of that, however many seconds long it is, there are 24 pictures that had to be taken, which means there were there were movements that were made to a character at a 24 speed, so to speak, that had to be made and adjusted by hand. It is just remarkable to see and, and to think the work and the dedication of these animators that went into that. And that is something that even if I don't enjoy the film, I can enjoy the creative power that goes into creating something like that. Now, to talk a little bit more about their animation technique, Guillermo really wanted them to animate mistakes. He said there's a lot of subtle shifts 
animate the ordinary. And they really kind of focus on that. They animated in mistakes instead of making it feel super crafted and perfect. And you really do see that. These, these characters shine. There's, there's this idea that I love that Guillermo says, here it is, I was trying to find it. He says, you don't, in the, doc, in the BTS doc, he said, you don't have to believe in them as people. You have to believe in them as characters. That when they were designing and animating them, they were careful not to design and animate them as people, but as characters and to believe in them as characters. And, and I think that's true. Now, some other cool details. There are big bearded guy who's at the circus, who's like the strong man. He originally was going to be the villain. He was going to be Count Volpe, I imagine. But uh, Guillermo didn't like that. He thought it was typical. So he ended up just becoming a background character. All that work just washed away. But some incredible details when it went into the actual physical animation of this film. Now, some other cool details. If you've watched the doc, you're probably familiar with these. But Kate Blanchett, who was nominated for Tar, with great film, great performance, is the monkey in this movie. She's Spazzatura because she was working on Nightmare Alley with Guillermo and was enjoying it so much, she just begged and begged that she could have a spot in Pinocchio. Spazzatura was the only part that wasn't cast, and she said, Guillermo, for you, I would play a pencil. So she's a monkey. And you know what? At, at first, I was like, what the heck? It's not just monkey noises. But the more I noticed it, it, it works. I, I could hear that it was her. Now, there's just some things that I really like that Guillermo del Toro said about these voice actors that he was working with. Speaking about Christoph Waltz, who plays Count Volpe, the kind of the villain, which I recognized his voice immediately. I thought it was so good. He was one of my favorite characters um, in this film. Guillermo, talking about him, says, talk about a guy that can change the rhythm and intention of a sound mid-phrase. And that is totally true. It adds to such interest and manipulation to this character which is fun because as long noses are associated with lies, you know, Pinocchio's nose growing, as we all know, Count Volpe's nose is extremely wrong, uh, you know, almost constantly the same length as Pinocchio's, signifying that he's a major liar throughout the film, which I kind of liked. Um, other things Guillermo said, talking about Ewan McGregor. Um, let me see where I've put that known. Um, he just said that, was speaking about uh, his voice recording with Ewan McGregor, he said those were some of the voice best voice sessions he's ever heard ever ever been a part of and he was so impacted by Ewan McGregor's voice acting as cricket that he adjusted the script and they reanimated scenes which that is unheard of in stop motion normally it's very meticulous and they there's no reshoots there's no redos it's they do it you know I'm gonna say this the right way they they do the scene as many times as they need to animate it the right way but they don't make a new scene there's no reshoots to change the story you normally that you get their story and then you just go and animate but they changed it because he loved ewan mcgregor's performance as cricket which i agree with so much he wanted him to be a narrator and so he changed the story up which is cool other awesome details i got here alexander desplat who does the music for this he's the composer all the instruments for the recording sessions for the score were made of wood they were all wooden instruments which is fun other things that happened with voice acting here, Gregory Mann's voice, he is the one who plays Pinocchio. He's young. His voice through the course of production changed, and so it had to be edited to match the sound of his voice when they first started recording lines because he's a child and that's what happens. Now, the only thing that's like an Easter egg that I noticed, there is the big change where there's no island of dreams or whatever it's called, I forget, where they become donkeys in the original Pinocchio, but they have the military training camp they go to, and when it's bombed, you get a shot of the soldiers putting gas masks on the boys and it makes their faces look stretched and long like a donkey. You know, kind of a fun reference there. So on to the next segment, least and likes. This is where I'm talking about my least favorite scene, my favorite scene. And my least favorite scene is not a particular scene. I can point to one in particular, but just the annoyingness and whininess of Pinocchio. I understand that kids are that way, 
But if you're trying to endear me to this character and tell a message through him, I have to be able to feel empathy towards him, and annoyance is a good blocker of empathy. Now, that's my own problem, but it it bothered me in the film, particularly that one scene when the, what's his name, Podesta? He's like the, the military guy and the priest come and visit Geppetto and Pinocchio at their home, and Pinocchio wants hot chocolate. He just like shrieks. It was the most annoying thing ever. And then he got hot chocolate anyway, and I was like, oh my gosh, it just it bothered me. <laughs> but that, that's like the worst of the scenes, but you just get it throughout. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in Fallen. But in the meantime, let's talk about my favorite scene, my like. And in agreement with Guillermo, it is the sessions with you. And his, his voice is just sensational. And I love the character of Cricket. Uh, Sebastian J. Cricket is just a fantastic character, especially because he's not just a perfect conscience, make sure Pinocchio does the right thing. He's different. He feels different, and it is has some selfishness in him, and he changes and he grows. He's changed by Pinocchio as well, which, again, I'm kind of getting my head of myself in a fall in here, but I just loved the character of Critic. Every scene he was in, I was enjoying. The animation of him is remarkable. The the To animate him, especially sometimes in relation to uh, Pinocchio, to be able to animate the puppet of the cricket, they had like a normal-sized puppet, which means Pinocchio had to be huge. So they had like a face and shoulder of Pinocchio that was really big and then had like really small crickets. So I thought his animation was really good, the way he's animated with his hands. I mean, to think that an artist, an animator, had to choose how cricket would stand with his his four arms. They just add, they're performing, the animators are, and they perform cricket very well, especially matched with the voice of you and it is my favorite part of the film hands down so i kind of was getting into it a little bit because i have some things to say so let's just get into the last segment here fall in this is where as my dad says we talk about the moral of the story the messages the meanings the takeaway the themes those types of things uh what is this film trying to say and it's interesting because in kind of the words of guillermo pinocchio is someone who changes the world instead of having to change himself and it's interesting because he said that to tell the story they had to take geppetto to a place where he's not pleasant and now, I mean, obviously, if you watch the movie, that's the immediate change. He He's a drunk. And instead of Pinocchio being made out of love, it's made out of grief. And what reaction would you have to your creation of grief coming to life with Carlo being dead and Geppetto creating Pinocchio in a drunken rage and kind of creating him imperfectly? He's got one ear. And it, it is interesting. And it creates this dynamic where Pinocchio is told to be Carlo. And maybe, how can I say this the right way? and especially if any of my students are listening to this, I'm a high school teacher. I teach a high school class for freshmen to seniors. It's a mix of all classes. And so sometimes it can be chaotic. I love all my students. I sincerely do. But sometimes I see, as we all do as teenagers, people act below their potential. And it's heartbreaking. And it's difficult to endure sometimes. And sometimes, as good as I try to be, I run out of patience. And so I think that maybe my patience with Pinocchio wasn't enough because I felt like he was living below his potential. He has great potential. He has great qualities. He's very innocent and very kind. Uh, He's very childlike, like as uh, real children are. But there was a lot about him that was annoying, like I said, but also was just false, a little bit of selfishness, a little bit of of disobedience and lack of of trust, I, I would say, in the people who can lead him which maybe I got to get off my arrogance with leaders and, and children following them, but it's a true principle nonetheless. 
And and so it's interesting because I see that that's true. I see that that Pinocchio doesn't need to be Carlo. He shouldn't be Carlo. He shouldn't try to become Carlo. He should try to become Pinocchio. But I, I'm sad that the Pinocchio he becomes is not a version of Pinocchio that I love. There there are parts of it that are loved, but he's still unrefined. And as I'm saying this, I'm appreciating the film more because what human isn't unrefined? What what parent child relationship is with a perfect child? <laughs> Me included as a child. So your love for people, your love for your children goes beyond their immediate professionalism, if you will, or social tolerance. Like you you love this person in their flaws and they do bring you joy as difficult or as trying as it is. And I I feel that as I mentioned, as a a teacher all the time. And so, so I believe in that. I believe in this message about truly accepting yourself and being who you are and how who you are is able to change the world and your unique gifts that you bring. In particular, to to a very dramatic extent, Pinocchio not being able to die, um, and the way that that makes things interesting. And, and here's the thing that I love: in interviews, Guillermo del Toro stated that that in this adaptation of Pinocchio, his nose grows not just when he lies, but when he's not true to himself, which is interesting because his nose grows organically, like it's a visual change, physical change to his self as an individual like he's reverting back to what he came from he's reverting back to a tree instead of being a boy and it's because he's not being true to himself it's it's interesting yeah it's just it's powerful stuff and so i believe in that and i really want to like the message but it's but there's things attached to it that make it hard to that make it less palatable i will say but the message is true nonetheless we have the ability to change people around us uh we each do we we each have the ability to grow. Uh, and while Pinocchio learns and grows, his uniqueness, even at times faults, uh, allow individuals to have joy and to grow as individuals. And that is a worthwhile message, even if there's some of it that isn't completely palatable to me. Now, the one other thing that I really want to mention here that I like is that in most adaptations, Candlewick, um, or Lampwick, as he's sometimes called, is... He's, he's like a bad kid who just pays the price by being disobedient and becomes a donkey, right? He's just, an, he's, he's like the anti-role model if Pinocchio is the role model. And Candlewick is not that way. In this, he has genuine growth. He ha- there, there's empathy to this character, the complexity he has with his dad, Podesta. And his capacity, speaking back about Candlewick, his capacity for disobeying is noble it's it's enabling it's powerful and it's good in this film which there's truth in all of those things and i i don't have anything more to say than that so there's this interesting film that even now as i review it i really value the messages that that even continually it's teaching me now here's the coolest thing and and the words just came to me as to why it really does believe belong in the animation hall of fame this is a movie that will stick with me even in my unenjoyment of it, where you might just move on, you kind of have to wrestle with the ideas. And, and my unenjoyment of it, for lack of a better word, comes from my own personal wrestle with the messages and characters that it's using to tell that message and, and my own reaction and acknowledgement and confrontation with those messages. And that is art at its most powerful form. And it deserves to be remembered. And maybe I'll come around as I think about this for the next few months and the way that it reflects upon me and I reflect upon it as a teacher in a position dealing with 
a bunch of Pinocchios, if you will, individuals trying to figure out the world and themselves. Maybe I need a lot more compassion to allow them to bring me joy than I was giving them. That's, you know, this is why Fallen, this is why movies are a great segment for a great segment. This is why movies are great and why Fallen is a segment I really enjoy because even as I record it, I am learning, I'm changing, I'm developing, and that's cool. So, you know what? Maybe I like this movie a little bit more, but I'm excited to continue to review the other animated films we have coming up. There are some of my favorites, films that, that the message is so impactful, and I just enjoy bucket loads. Also, some films I haven't seen before. We've got some new releases coming out with the new Mario movie that looks really good. Uh, Suzumi is getting its American release. Exciting stuff happening, so make sure you're subscribed to The Basement Binge. Marcel the Shell is coming up. So great animated features in addition to those others coming out in theaters we'll all be enjoying. So make sure wherever you get podcasts, you're subscribed to The Basin Binge. If you haven't heard it enough, this is The Basin Binge. My name is Harrison, and that's all for now. Ciao, ciao. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.